Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Here's today's message from Ryan Gagler. Hey, how are you tonight? Good. Welcome to everyone joining with us here at Riverview. Of course, welcome to all of our online friends as well. It really is so nice to be together. Um, I thought before we dive into the word for this evening, I just thought I'd share some family news. If you didn't hear, Renee and I are uh, happy and proud to announce that we have a little baby on the way, which is um, super exciting. We are very excited and we know that come August, that little baby boy is going to flip our worlds upside down. And uh, so I just want a bit of a shout out for Riverview Market. If you are a babysitter, if you're a cleaner, if you're a nanny, make sure you get on there because come August, we will be giving you a phone call. Well, hey, it's so good to be together. And this evening, I'm really excited to be starting off a brand new sermon series. And this is a series that I'm really excited about simply because I feel like for many of us, if there was one thing we could talk about, it would be this. And so we are beginning a brand new sermon series titled Euon Gelion. Turn to your neighbor and say, Euon Gelion. Come on, you got to say it. And that's how you learn it. Euon Gelion. Congratulations, you maybe just learnt your first Greek word. Uh, Euangelion is the Greek word, which is the language of the, the New Testament, is the Greek word from which we get our English word gospel or good news. And so over the next four weeks, over the month of March, we are going to be taking some time to explore what is the Euangelion of Jesus? What is the good news of Jesus? And secondly, why is the good news good news? Like really, for us who live here in beautiful, sunny Perth, Western Australia in 2021, what makes Jesus's proclamation good news? And so we're going to be spending time to to talk about what Jesus came to proclaim and then why it matters. And I'd love just to start our time together by simply uh, encouraging you to consider what is the gospel of Jesus? Like right now, if I was to get you to write down in your little notepads in one or two sentences what the gospel of Jesus is, what would you write? What is Jesus's euangelion? Or maybe imagine yourself as a a first century Jew living in Galilee and you see Jesus walking around. What is it that he's saying? What is it that he is proclaiming? And I want you to actually think about that for a moment. Because your answer to that question will tell us a lot about how you view Jesus. In fact, it may tell us very little about what Jesus actually spent his time saying and doing, but it might tell us a little bit about your faith tradition or your upbringing or your understanding of the gospel. So for many of you, for many different reasons in this room, you might say something like, well, the gospel of Jesus is to love God and to love others. It's the great commandment, right? Or maybe for some of you, you would say, oh, well, the gospel is to to make disciples of all nations, the great commission. Maybe for some of you, you've heard the gospel preached as a promise of health, wealth, and prosperity. Hey, wouldn't that be nice? Or maybe for you, you've uh, battled with things like anxiety. And so for you, the gospel of Jesus has been about, do not worry. For look how he cares for the birds of the air. How much more will he care for you? And all that to say that in this room, our understandings of the gospel are many and varied. And whilst us spending some time talking about what we think the gospel is, what I would rather do this evening is ask the question, what is the gospel 
according to Jesus. So what is the euangelion of Jesus? What is the good news that Jesus came here to earth to proclaim? And the good news, excuse the pun, is that all we need to do is open up our Bibles and we can read exactly what Jesus came to proclaim. In fact, it's right in the beginning of Mark's Gospel of Jesus. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or you can use the giant Bible behind me. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says this, After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the euangelion of God. What is it? The time has come, He said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. So right there it is, right at the start of Jesus's ministry, he shows up and he tells us, he tells us what the good news is. It's that the kingdom of God has come near or in Matthew's gospel, he would say the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's arrived and it's arrived in part, but not quite yet in full. And I've heard it said that the, The kingdom of God is a little bit like the picture that you get on the front of a jigsaw puzzle. How many people have done a jigsaw puzzle without the picture before? Yeah, it's pretty difficult, right? Because you actually have no frame of reference to make sense of the pieces. And so the kingdom of God, I believe, is like the picture that's on the front of the jigsaw puzzle. And so Jesus shows up right at the beginning of His ministry and He wants us to understand the picture that is going to allow us to make sense of everything else that happens. Because if we're honest, when we read the stories of Jesus, there are some, some confusing pieces, right? Like Jesus rolls up and He says, hey, when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Like, what? I mean, if I look at that piece on its own, that is confusing. And that, to be honest, is terrible advice, unless that piece is making up something bigger. And so I believe the kingdom of God is this puzzle piece that Jesus wants to make sure that we understand right at the beginning of everything He says and everything He does. He doesn't want us to miss it, that His kingdom has come near. And so today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be taking the time to explore the good news of Jesus, to explore the euangelion. And so we're going to start off, you might have guessed, by talking about the kingdom And then next week, Ash is going to continue our series by talking about the way of Jesus and His kingdom. And uh, in our final weeks of the series, we're going to be talking about why that is good news and what it means for us and the world, what it means for human flourishing and vocation and identity and purpose and community. And so I would simply love to encourage you across this series, would you be here every single week this month? Would you be here every single week? Because this is such important stuff. And you know what, I would love to encourage you, don't assume that, oh, well, I've heard the gospel once, I don't need it again, because the gospel is not something we hear once and put to the side, it's the story that we're living in. And so I would really encourage you to come with us on the journey, because it is so important that as gospel people, as a gospel community, we actually know what the gospel of Jesus is and why it is good news for those in our world. And so come with us on the journey. And I would love to just say on the side, if, if you want more reading, if you want some extra things that you can dig into, there's four people that have been really influential in, in, in this series. And those people are Scott McKnight, N.T. Wright, John Mark Comer, and Tim Mackey. And they're people that we've been reading and they've been helpful in this. So if you want you know, particular books or things that can get you going on that, just come and speak to me after the celebration. But let's start off by talking about the kingdom. Turn to your neighbour and say the kingdom. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't use uh, kingdom language or talk about kingdoms all that often. It seems a little bit outdated. Like I don't often walk around my house assessing my rule and my reign, although Renee does sometimes. You know, like my closest point of reference for king and kingdom is probably Queen Elizabeth in the United Kingdom. God save our queen. Or maybe in the fictional sense, it is King Aragon in Lord of the Rings. You know, so I don't really know, I don't really know what to do with a lot of this kingdom language because most of us don't use it or we actually don't really like it. I mean, it seems a little outdated, right? Because we have moved to the mighty democracy. I mean, like kingdoms and having one sovereign ruler, that's a little bit outdated because in a democracy, we love the idea to have the power to keep our leaders accountable, to hire and fire them. So when Jesus talks about his kingdom, What is he talking about? And I really believe that simply put, he's talking about two entities in relationship, a king and the people under the rule of that king. And so therefore the kingdom of God is the space where God reigns as king. And all of creation recognises and lives under his authority and reign. And so the kingdom of heaven is not some physical location, but it's the place and the space where God reigns in full. So when Jesus refers to heaven, he's not necessarily talking about the place that you float off to one day, but he's talking about a reality that has come here, God's reign. And that's why we are encouraged to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In the space where you reign fully, heaven. So that's what we are encouraged to pray. That's how we are encouraged to live. Now, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, you would know that that Mark 1 is not the first time that we hear of this kingdom language. It's not the first time that we hear of ruling and of reigning. And I like to think of this as a bit of a hyperlink moment. You know when you're on uh, Wikipedia and you're just browsing and you're looking through something and something is underlined in blue? What that means is you can click on that and go for a bit of a, a deeper dig as to what actually that means and and the history of that. And when Jesus says that the kingdom is here, the kingdom of God has come near, I really believe that that is an underlined blue moment because there is so much reference to the kingdom of God and ruling and reigning in our Bible. In fact, it's literally on page one and page last of our Bible. And so in Genesis one, the very first story of the Bible, God is depicted as king. He's clearly author and king, but he speaks the world of uh, into of beauty into existence. And whilst God is the king, he actually decides and it seems that his intention is to share ownership of this beautiful and complex world with one of the creatures that he has created. Now, who does he want to share that with? Us, humans. Yeah, right. So Genesis 1.28 tells us that God blessed them, humans, and he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Tick. You can get that. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the humans are given this responsibility to steward and oversee uh, the world on God's behalf. And as we do that well, we image and we represent God to creation. But this language of ruling is a little bit weird because really, like it says, rule over the, the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky. Like, how do you do that, right? 
Like, good luck chasing down a magpie and trying to get it to bow to you. So what are we actually talking about? You know, I really do believe that, that human beings in a godlike capacity don't just inhabit the world and live in the world like magpies do. We actually recreate it and remake it everywhere we go. And so animals use these super basic primitive tools and they live in the jungles. But humans don't live in the jungles. We make a city out of it, right? And so we're given this unique capacity that comes with a great responsibility. It's a divine vocation to image and to represent God to all of creation. And so the, the story of the Bible is a story about kingdoms. It's a story, it begins with a king and, and then he makes these humans his co-rulers who are gonna rule the world on his behalf. Now, as the, the humans do this, they're gonna have to make decisions, significant decisions about things that are good and things that are bad and This is where we're introduced to a a tree, now on page two of the Bible. And the question that we are confronted with is a question that I really believe each and every one of us has to answer for ourselves every day. Are human beings going to allow God to be king and be the one who defines good and evil and we will rule and reign under His authority? Or are the human beings gonna be, uh, take the opportunity to seize autonomy and define good and evil on our own terms, to begin making kingdoms, advancing kingdoms in which we would define good and evil in a way that is good for our kingdom, but maybe not so good for someone else's kingdom. And how does the story go? You know it? Well, the humans who God installs as co-rulers choose disobedience. They begin to start an alternate kingdom. It's like a coup, right? This is like the kids taking over the house and locking the parents outside and they're living by their own rules and they're running amok. Now, for some of you as parents, you wouldn't mind that for an hour or so. But the problem is it just gets messier and it gets messier and it's messier. And and that is the plot line of the Bible. It's a story of competing kingdoms, of competing wills for the world, the the way of Eden or the way of Babel. And the question becomes, well, what is God gonna do? How will he establish once again his rule and his reign? And as we survey the rest of the Old Testament, and we don't have time to stop along all the important parts along the way, we see again and again the people rejecting God as king. And they want to have their own kingdoms that they can advance. And so humanity have seized autonomy and we've begun building these elaborate and somewhat beautiful but really complex Kingdoms, but here's the problem. We've advanced the kingdoms without the king. And so the Old Testament concludes with the hope of Israel's prophets who say that one day God is going to come back and fix this. He's going to restore His kingdom and reign as king once more as it was in the beginning. And so fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus' contemporaries and His disciples knew that the Creator God intended to bring justice and peace and once more reestablish His kingdom on earth in which He could dwell with His people. But the question was, how and when and through whom? And it's to this backdrop that Jesus arrives and He says, the time is now. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. Repent and believe. And then what did Jesus do? He declares that the kingdom of God is here, but then he walks around doing kingly things, right? Like he walked around like he had authority. 
I mean, this is a guy who walked around and told a lame man to take his mat and walk. And just like that, he stood up. Jesus rolls around and He tells the sea to be quiet and creation obeys Him. At just a word, Jesus calls the dead to rise. This is King Jesus and He was on the move, bringing the reality of heaven, God's good intention for the world to earth. And as Jesus ministered, He began to reveal the nature of His kingdom, the nature and the shape of His kingdom. And this was world-changing stuff because Jesus radically redefined what it means to be blessed and successful. He radically redefined what it looks like to be significant in His kingdom, what true power looks like and who was in and who was out. Jesus would spend time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and those who were outcasts in the eyes of the world. And He would say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. He would tell parables about His kingdom. He would say, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is small and humble, but as it is planted, it will grow to be of great expanses. And Jesus began to reveal that His kingdom didn't look anything like the kingdoms that we know of this world. John 18, uh, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight and they would use violence to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but not so. My kingdom is from another place. So Jesus begins establishing this upside down, inside out kind of kingdom, a kingdom that is radically different to the systems and the categories and the kingdoms of man. And in the face of Rome, Jesus declared that he was ushering in a new way of life. He said that he was king and His kingdom was coming. You know, we need to understand that Jesus was not arrested and trialed and crucified because He went around telling us to love one another. He was trialed, arrested and crucified because He was declaring that He is the King and that His kingdom is here. I mean, imagine for a moment if I was to go over to Washington DC right now and walk into the White House and begin declaring, I am the President of the United States. I mean, people would look at me like I'm a little bit crazy, but I would probably find myself getting into a little bit of trouble. Now, why? Who am I really a threat to? Am I a threat to the American people? Probably not. I'm a threat to the powers who actually sit in the office. And so Jesus rolls up and He declares that He is the King and His kingdom is here. You see, Jesus' claims are not that of a moral teacher. And if that's all you take Him to be, well, you'll miss out on the whole point. Jesus is flipping the world right side up. And just like any ruler, Jesus did inevitably receive His crown and His robe and His staff. But when did He receive it? At the cross, right? I mean, what kingdom is this that Jesus would go to His inauguration on the cross? And uh, as Jesus laid down His life for His people, the people who had so confused good and evil that we nailed the Creator of the world to a tree. I mean, this is a radical kingdom. And Jesus became King through death, but God exalted Him to life. And it's through the cross, which is this sign of defeat that Jesus flips the script and shows that it's a sign of victory. And in His inauguration on the cross, Jesus took sin and He took brokenness and He took our disobedience and He took death upon Himself and turned it around for grace and righteousness and life. 
You know, it's through the cross that Jesus dealt with death. You know, I don't know about you, but if there's a problem that is going to face us all, it's death. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor or you're good or you're bad. We all have to face the problem of death. It's like the ultimate statistic, right? I'm sorry to kind of bring the bad news there. One in one person dies, except one. And his name was Jesus. And here's the crazy good news, that even death bows the knee to King Jesus. And that means we, through life in Him, can receive life eternal. In the wise words of the prophet and poet of our time, Kanye West, Jesus is King. Can you say amen? So this is the good news, friends. The euangelion of Jesus is the message that God is recreating and renewing the world under His appointed leader and King, Jesus Christ. And see, in Jesus, the kingdom has begun to break out. And of course, we still live on earth and we still live alongside the kingdoms of this age. And so whilst we are here, We're in this now and not yet reality. So we are going to experience brokenness. We are going to experience oppression and death. But there will come a day when God will make all things right. And see, God's coming kingdom is good news for any of us who have experienced the evil of our human systems and kingdoms and and, uh, categories God's coming kingdom is good news for any of us who have faced suffering or sickness or death because in Jesus' name, we can experience and look forward to the reality of heaven, God's good intention for the world. So friends, if you've ever experienced oppression and judgment at the hands of the kingdom of the world, the promise of God's kingdom is that we will experience liberation and freedom. If you've ever just felt like you're a cog in the wheel and you're just exhausted from the toils of life under the systems in which we live, the promise of the kingdom is rest and peace. And maybe you've experienced loneliness. Well, the promise of God's kingdom is connection and unity. Or maybe you felt like an aimless wanderer in life, not knowing what to do with yourself. The promise of God's kingdom is hope and purpose and meaning. You know, the kingdom of God, I believe, is good news. And I believe it's good news that no longer will the systems and the kingdoms of man be the ones to define what is good and what is right and what is evil, but rather Jesus will reign as king once more, as judge, as authority. And you know what? This is really good news for the marginalized. This is really good news for the poor. This is really good news for any of us who have faced oppression and suffering and sickness. But if we're honest, this is not so good news for the systems of our world, the kingdoms of our world, the systems of oppression and racism and discrimination, to the systems of greed and power and violence. To them, the gospel of Jesus looks like justice. And this, my friends, is the euangelion of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us. This is incredible. Jesus is inviting us to experience and live out now what one day we will will arrive in full, the kingdom of God. I wanna read to you Revelations 21, which is speaking of the future hope, the place that we're moving towards in Jesus' name. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then He said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. I think that's beautiful. And that is a picture of what is to come in Jesus' name. You know, church, it really is my privilege to just get to stand up here uh, with not much to say on my own accord, but simply to declare the good news of Jesus, that His kingdom is here, that His kingdom has come near and, and that He has invited us to follow Him, to be a part of His people, to come and be a part of the new creation that He is building and forming here and now to acknowledge Him as King and begin living as citizens of that new kingdom. Citizens of heaven, right? You've heard the language before. Now here's the thing, just like citizens of any nation, citizens of heaven, people who are living under the rule and the reign of God's kingdom, I believe have a recognised currency, right? If you've done ever, ever, ever done any international travelling, you would know that there are certain currencies, there are certain bits of paper that have value in certain lands and then they don't have any value in other lands. They're recognised and they're valued currency. And so right now, if you were to wander down to South Perth McDonald's and you were to order your Big Mac and hand over some Indonesian rupiah, well, I don't think you're going to get your Big Mac because Indonesian rupiah isn't the valued and recognised currency here. And I think the same is true with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has a valued currency and friends, it looks completely different to the currency of our world. You know, the success and significance note in God's kingdom looks very different to the success and significance note in the kingdom of the world. You know, God's kingdom currency seems to value things like humility and mercy and love and grace and sacrifice. And you know what, we don't have time to kind of talk about all of what that looks like. And that's going to be a little bit of what Ash is going to share next week. What does the the way of Jesus and His kingdom look like? So make sure you are here for that. But with the time that we have remaining, I would simply love for us to consider what does it look like to live? What does it mean to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus? Like, what does it look like to live as citizens of heaven? If God's kingdom has arrived in Jesus, what does it mean to live like He is King and His kingdom is here? What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for my vocation? What does that mean for my family and my resources and my hopes and my dreams and my priorities? Well, church, I would probably suggest that if Jesus is King, it changes everything. If Jesus is King and His kingdom is here, it'll require a radical reorientation of our lives. And so when Jesus declared the good news, He said, my kingdom has come near. And then what did He say after it? Repent and believe. 
repent and believe. And you know this word repentance, I think over the last 200 years has grown a fair bit of baggage. And so when we think of repentance, we often think of a single tear rolling down the eye and some sort of a confession booth, right? But when Jesus is calling us to repent, I don't believe He's calling us just to get all sad. I believe He's calling us to a new way of seeing the world. He's calling us to turn around, to radically reorient our hearts and our minds and our ways of seeing the world and people, to align the compass of our lives with the compass of His life and His kingdom. And so when Jesus calls us to repent, He's saying the kingdom of God is here. And in light of that, forget everything you thought you knew. Forget the things that you valued in that world. My kingdom is here and it's time to learn what I value. And you know, Jesus's kingdom requires both belief and repentance. It requires us both to believe and to repent, to both declare that Jesus is king and his kingdom is coming, but then to repent and reshape our lives under his kingship. In other words, to live like he's king. Those of you who know me, you would know that I am a a massive fan of the sitcom, The Office, particularly the US edition. Any Office fans out there? And I was thinking a little bit about it. There's a particular episode in season four that I really love. And uh, Michael Scott, the bumbling office manager, who is the same personality type as me, go figure, uh, he finds himself in financial trouble. And he has a conversation with some of the members in the office and it appears that Michael really doesn't want to reorient any part of his life. He doesn't want to change his spending habits. He doesn't want to do anything that would actually require him to to shift the way he's been living. And so instead he gets an idea. He walks out of the office and he simply says, I declare bankruptcy. And you know what? In that moment, Michael Scott believed in his heart and confessed with his mouth that he was bankrupt but it didn't change anything because he was completely unwilling to repent. He was completely unwilling to reorient his life and and change his lifestyle to match that of his declaration. And whilst, you know, that's kind of a silly example, the really challenging thing is so many of us do that with our faith life. You know, we love to declare and confess that Jesus is King and His kingdom is here. We love to sing songs in worship about how Jesus is King, but then for it to actually reorient our lives, well, that's, that's a little bit too hard. That's a little bit too uncomfortable. And we just wanna remain King all the while confessing that He is King. And so friends, the Kingdom of God requires and calls us to repent and to believe. And so what does this look like for our lives? What, what does it look like to live under the rule and the reign of Jesus? Well, honestly, I don't know fully. And that is the question that you're gonna have to ask of your life before Jesus, because it's gonna look completely different for each and every one of us. But maybe to get you thinking of some ideas, I just wanna share some things, some some reorientations that'll be required if this is true. You see, if Jesus is King and His kingdom is here, No longer is my preference or or self the highest priority, but His will and His kingdom take precedence. If Jesus is King and His kingdom is here, no longer is my comfort and my security the highest priority, but others are now of more importance. If Jesus is King and His kingdom is here, well, I can face pain and suffering 
and somehow still take courage because I know He's with me. And I can turn my hope to the promise of the world to come. See friends, if Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here, no longer am I bound by a nationalistic identity or the colour of my skin. So no longer does my Australianness define me. No longer does my Americanness define me. But rather, if Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here, we are one in Jesus. We are citizens of heaven. If Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here, will my perspectives, my politics, my prejudices all bow the, name to, uh, bow the knee to Jesus? If Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here, will my money, my resources and my vocation exist to serve the will of Jesus and His Kingdom? My money becomes a tool to extend and embody His Kingdom here on earth. And friends, if Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here, both my life and my death are securely held and transformed in God. The time has come, Jesus said. The Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. And Jesus invites us by His grace to live alongside Him. To, as He creates the world, as He renews the world and establishes His heaven here on earth. And He invites us to bow the knee of our lives to His authority and to His kingdom. You know, the Scriptures tell us that ultimately at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Can you say Amen? And hey, today it would be such a privilege for me to extend an opportunity to some of you here in the room who maybe simply just need to respond to King Jesus. Maybe you've never heard the Gospel preached or maybe you've never heard this kind of Gospel preached, the Gospel that Jesus said that His Kingdom is here. I would love to provide you with an opportunity in a couple of moments to simply respond, to acknowledge Jesus as King and then to, be, to believe, but then to repent and, and reshape your life under His Kingdom. But before we do that, for all of the followers of Jesus who are here in the room, I wanna just give you some homework this week. Is that all right? Oh, the teacher giving out homework on a Sunday night, how rude. I would really love to encourage you this week, would you pray the Lord's Prayer every day? You can find an adapted version online, just Google the Lord's Prayer, or you can read straight from uh, Matthew 6. In fact, can we, before we move into a time of prayer and worship, can we read this together? Can we read the Lord's Prayer together? Can you join your voices with mine? Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you join with me as I pray? Jesus, we stand before You and recognise 
today that You are King and that Your Kingdom has come near. And Lord, I thank You for the lengths that You went to, to bring Your Kingdom, to bring Your realities here on earth. And Lord, this evening we take a moment simply to pray a bold prayer. God, would Your Kingdom come? Would Your will be done in our lives and on this earth, in our jobs, in our families, with our vocations and our resources? Lord, would Your Kingdom come and Your will be done? And Lord, I pray for any of us that need to do the hard work of reorienting our lives in light of the news, the good news that Your Kingdom has come. Would You help us by Your Spirit to live out Kingdom-shaped lives that value the things that You value, that love the things that You love, that move towards the things that You move towards. Lord Jesus, we wanna, we want our lives to be places in which heaven overlaps with earth. And so would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, would you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed just for one more moment? And I simply, as I mentioned, wanna provide an opportunity for those who are here in the room that simply just need to say, yeah, today I wanna acknowledge that Jesus is King, that Jesus is King and His Kingdom is here. And you know what? I would absolutely love to pray with you if that's you. And so with all eyes closed and heads bowed, would you... Be so bold just to raise your hand, just simply to say, hey, I'm acknowledging Jesus as King today and I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, why don't you just go ahead and raise your hand. Thank you so much over there. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up around the auditorium. Thank you. God bless you. People responding to the good news of Jesus, that He is King and His Kingdom is here. I'm gonna give you one more moment if that's you. Today, acknowledging that Jesus is King, Thank you so much. Hey, followers of Jesus, would you join with me in praying for these wonderful, wonderful people? Lord Jesus, we thank You for brothers and sisters today coming home. Lord, we thank You for people hearing the good news and responding in both belief and repentance. And God, in this moment, I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, You would so overwhelm them with Your grace and Your love and Your forgiveness. Lord, would You pour into them purpose and hope and direction for the future. Lord God, we ask for Your Gospel to fill up in their hearts and so overwhelm them and overflow in their lives. So Holy Spirit, would You give them strength? Would You give them courage to follow You as You call them to repentance, to reshape and reorient their lives in light of Your Kingdom? And we pray great blessing and favour of them as they continue to walk with You for the sake and the glory of Your Kingdom. And we pray that in Jesus' Name. You can say Amen. 